spreading out your attachment to more than romantic partners. So, like, I know I would have more anxiety about my partners dating other people when I wasn't feeling connected to my friends who I'm not dating or, you know, like my platonic relationships or my business relationships or, you know, like having a full life outside of your romantic relationships, I think is like one of the best ways to feel more secure and like grounded in community. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 274. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have an interview with Kate, who is the co-creator of Southwest Love Fest in Tucson, Arizona. She's also a therapist and has been non-monogamous most of her life. Hey, Southwest Love Fest. Yeah. We should go there. We are going there. What? (laughs) Well, take away from the introduction about Kate here. This is all about us. We do these (laughs) interviews to talk about us. Now, Kate's going to talk about Southwest Love Fest later on, so we're not going to tell you all about it. But what we do want to tell you is that we're going to be there from April 14th to the 16th, and we're going to be doing an interactive workshop, and we believe it's going to be amazing. And if you use the offer code EMMA when you check out, you get to save 10%, which is amazing for you, and it helps support the show financially, which is amazing for us. So thank you for that. And anyway, back to Kate. Let's make this about Kate. (laughs) Southwest Love Fest is going to be amazing. Yeah. As Emma said, Kate's been non-monogamous pretty much her whole life and went to the Kinsey Institute back in the early 2000s. She's sort of in a functionally monogamous relationship. Now she's going to talk about all of that. But we have some great conversations on relating to metas, community parenting, and just the power of community in general. It's awesome. It's a fantastic conversation. So a huge thank you to Kate for coming on. Links to all of Kate's work, how to sign up for Southwest Love Fest, and her personal website, katekincaid.com, and her therapy website, her um, counseling practice, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, is amazingly extensive. I didn't even know that until I was pulling the link. (laughs) This is an amazing practice that that she's built. So Hell yeah to that. Go check that out if you're looking for amazing support in your non-monogamy journey. Yes. For anyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview with Kate now. And for anyone else, we're going to have a few quick announcements. First of all- Quick-ish. Quick-ish. You know us. They'll be quick-ish. This is, again, blackmailing you into the premium subscription. (laughs) Anyway, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front and support the show for as little as $2 a year. You can sign up on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and scroll to the bottom of the homepage, and you'll find it there. Yes. Also, next up, we have a virtual meet and greet coming up in February. We actually had to move the date of this one, so it is now February 23rd. That's a Thursday evening, and we would love to have you join us. These meet and greets are super fun. They're open to anyone. You just must be open-minded and respectful. And awesome. And awesome. Yeah, you must be an awesome human. And apparently flexible because we just move them. <laughs> we don't usually like to do that. We had. I think this is the first time we've done it. Let's yeah, give yeah. ourselves a break. Emma. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, and we still have a few weeks ahead. We do. And we hope to see you there. 
The next thing we wanted to talk about was community. Actually, this is a main thread of what we talk about with Kate today. So if you're looking for a community similar to the amazing one that Kate built in Tucson, we have a virtual community where everybody shows up all day, every day to support one another through family things, relationship issues, a little bit of sexiness in there, mm -hmm. and just frankly building friendships with people all over the world who just get it. Yes. And so we would love to invite you, listener, to join us and the over 200 other amazing humans who have been part of this community for years. It's open to you as an amazing person for as little as $5 a month. And we have a men's group. We have a women's group. We're working on launching a non-binary person group, we which, are. which we're super excited about. And we do monthly Q&As and all sorts of incredible stuff. Plus, we, we even spatter in, smattering in, a sm smatter, smatter in. I think that's, I think there's that's a right. smattering, <laughs> a, a smattering of in-person events as well. Yes. So you'd want to miss that. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab at the top. You'll see all the information there and we would love to have you. Also a special bonus. If you do sign up for the community, you get access to the premium subscription included. Yeah, but then you get to miss out on all of this joy. Right. <laughs> which truly... Seems like a catch-22. People, like, we want people to do the premium subscription, but then you get to miss all of this fun banter. Yeah, we, we also know some people sign up for the premium subscription and then listen to this anyway. Right. <laughs> anyway. Hey, you do you. Yes. The last thing we wanted to tell you about was our favorite way to get tested for STIs. Surprise, surprise. STDcheck.com. We have been using this service for years we love it. It is amazing. And you hear about us talk about it every week. Because it's amazing. Yes. We only talk about shit that's amazing. Yes. It is fast. It is affordable. And it is, uh, I think, amazing. Yeah. It's dependable, too. We've been talking about this for years. That's right. It hasn't gone away. <laughs> At $129 for a 10-panel test, that's tough to beat. You get that price when you use the links on our website. You save $10, and you help support the show financially. And we are eternally grateful to you for doing that. That's how we eat. <laughs> it's partly. You give blood, we get to eat dinner. That's, yeah. I'm laughing because there's truth in that. <laughs> <laughs> that is truth. <laughs> so as the... So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As the phlebotomist is drawing your blood, just remember it's the lifeblood of us. <laughs> wow. No guilt. Wow. No guilt. Wow. You're pulling at the heartstrings here. So to find out where you can feed us every night, you head over to normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You can click on the resources tab or in your podcast player show notes. There are links there. And those links, again, will save you $10 and it makes you an amazing human. Plus, then you get to have amazing conversations with your upcoming partners, your existing partners, past ones even if you want. Sorry, I spit on Emma. <laughs> She was a little taken aback. Don't worry, I got tested recently. It's, it's like, okay. Gonna say something and then I got spit on. Yeah, be careful, I'll spit in your mouth. Anyway. anyway, on that note, I think it's time to tell people that they can reach out to us at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Let us know what you think of these amazing intros in this podcast. Maybe you'd like to come on, share your story. You don't have to be the creator or co-creator of Southwest Love Fest. No. You just have to be awesome. Yes. Just a quick reminder, and we say it all the time, our website is normalizingnonmonogamy.com, or you can type any of that into Google and find us. Or ask Jeeves or chat GPT. Jeez. Oh, yes. Anywhere you want. And I promise if we interview you, I will not spit in your mouth. <laughs> It'll be a virtual interview anyway. That's likely. why. Because otherwise, okay. you're in the spray zone. It's like a Gallagher show here. Okay. On that note, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? <laughs> Let's go talk to Kate. <laughs>
Well, welcome, Kate, to the podcast. We're so excited and happy you're here today. Uh, we would love to have you start just by introducing yourself. Okay. Hi, I'm Kate Kincaid. Um, I'm a therapist in Tucson, Arizona, and I specialize in working with people in ethically non-monogamous relationships, um, LGBT, LGBTQIA plus people, and people working with psychedelics. And I'm also a mother of two. And so that really informs my life and my therapeutic practice. Um, so I also really like working with people in perinatal mental health mm-hmm. stuff too. And then I'm the co-creator of Southwest Love Fest, um, which is an annual conference on ethical non-monogamy, relationships, identity, and community in Tucson, Arizona. And our next conference is in April of this year. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Spoiler alert. We may be there. Yeah. We may even be presenting there. So we're super thrilled for <laughs> that. that. Maybe. We will be there. Yeah. And so will you listeners. Yeah. All right. Super awesome. Thank you. And and we'll talk all about that in, we, in a little bit. But. We will, but maybe we need to establish why 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 non-monogamy for you or or even non-monogamy for you is that part of your your personal journey as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, I think I've been non-monogamous as long as I can remember. Um, you know, when I first started falling in love with people in middle school and high school and I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I was dating somebody and also had a crush on my neighbor and, you know, and so trying to be open about it, but, you know, as a young person and without any guidance or words for it, um, was not always ethical. Um, then I went to school at the Kinsey Institute at, um, Indiana university and took, it was actually called an abnormal sexuality class. And that's where I learned about polyamory (laughs) and like learned the words and that there's people doing this. And I was like, Oh, so there's like this whole, community and culture. Um, and then I started researching it more and learning about it and then being honest with people that I was dating at the time about this is my orientation and how I want to do relationships. And yeah, so I've been ethically non-monogamous since then, I guess. Yeah. And non-monogamous since before then, as you were trying to figure it's, it's so frustrating that like, this is a thing that you've probably felt and there wasn't a framework. And even when you show up in school, it's like, now you're labeled as abnormal. Yeah. And you're right. like, well, hey, hey, I just want this to be normal. Yeah. <laughs> right. How how was that journey for you coming out of exploring this in maybe less than ethical ways into now I have to reframe, restructure, and and sort of reevaluate how you do it? Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, once I like knew there was a framework or like you know, that I could be talking about it with words like that. There's like definitions and social norms. Then Mm -hmm. I felt like I had more of a structure and I could talk about it more before it was kind of like secretive and, Oh, I I like this other person, but I felt bad about it. There was, so there was a lot less shame once I had um, words for it, but still, I mean, that was in, let's see, 2002, 2003. And so that was like quite a while ago and things have changed a lot in just that short amount of time. I mean, it was a while ago, but also not that long ago. Um, and it's changed so much since then. Um, like there were hardly any like depictions in media or like I had a hard time finding blogs or books or anything about it. Um, 
now, I mean, now I'm in this world and so I have a lot of resources and know where mm-hmm. to go. But like, even without that, even in people who aren't in this world, it's a lot more accessible and people can Google it and yeah. find out. And so, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what did the, what did the, I guess the structure look like for you in those first, the, you're cracking open your non-monogamy egg. What did that, the mm-hmm. first kind of go look like for you? <laughs> Oh, it was, um, it was rough. Um, it was a lot of, yeah. So I had a, I had a boyfriend from like eighth grade until the end of college. So that's like eight years, really formative years. What is that? Mm -hmm. Like 13 years old until, or 14 years old until 22 or something. I don't know, but Mm -hmm. we did, there was a lot of cheating both parts. We would cheat. We would, um, find out from other people and then be like, sorry and I should have told you and it's like well we're not really mad that you cheated but we're mad that you didn't tell me about it and so then we would try to be more a little bit like don't ask don't tell like look we're because I went to college where he didn't go and so it's like we're gonna do whatever we want and like just don't tell each other like if you want to know maybe we can talk about it so that was kind of like how it started yeah with that person Mm -hmm. and how how did that go it's like a lot of drama a lot of pain (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I think what's interesting is what you said in there, though, that you weren't really mad about the act of cheating mm. or the, the physical things that happened. It was more the deception and the hiding yeah. and the having to run yeah. around behind. Yeah. Did you two ever did you two ever get to a point where you could sort of do it openly and, and supportively? Kind of like we had some experiences all together. Um, mm-hmm. And there was like a couple of people that stayed in the orbit you know like people that one or the other of us would be dating kind of like on and off for years and so it was kind of like well that person's okay and we could kind of like talk we could be in the same room together but it was still not talked about openly it was still kind of like we know this is happening and it's like okay but it's not like still we didn't know that anybody was doing this we thought we were like you know just maybe didn't love each other enough or something or i don't know you know we were confused we were young too yeah. 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 Oh, there's so so many mistakes that are made. I mean, at all ages, but especially at that age. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, we're not taught. We don't know. You're yeah. just trying to like fumble around and figure it out. Right. And all your other friends are trying to be monogamous or are monogamous and they're kind of like, You guys are crazy. What are you doing? Or like, you guys need to just end the relationship. Obviously you don't want to be together. And you know, there's like yeah. that's the advice you get from around yeah. people around you. And so yeah, we and then were you're stubborn and don't want to break up. Right. right. And we're like, well, but we have a lot of fun together and we love each other. And, you know, things are good, even despite the cheating. And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the two camps have always been right. You're you're a free, you know, free love. You can go if you're in college. Right. You can go hook up with anybody, but don't get into a relationship or mm-hmm. while well, I'm in a relationship and everything else gets put on the back burner or just completely shut off and. And then you're trying to like swim in the ocean with all of these different things and you're going just kind of against it. Oh, right. It's tough. Yeah. 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 It's tough. And it's like, it's kind of also helped form my identity or I always kind of liked being like, I kind of mm-hmm. like shocking people or something or my friends are like, you're crazy. And I'm like, yeah, well one day maybe I I'll have a open relationship or like when they had the words too, I started saying it and they're just like, I'm the only person any of them had ever met that like felt that way. And um, so I kind of liked that. And now I feel like all my friends are non-monogamous. So I'm like, not the cool, I'm not like cool and 
weird anymore. I'm like, just like everybody else around me. <laughs> Thinking about monogamy again, just to, just to yeah. go against the grain. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious too, though, even, was it even within the Kinsey Institute that you were still coming up against these sort of mononormative structures? Yeah. Yes and no. I mean, look, like from where I came from, they were so progressive, you know, mm-hmm. but like now looking back, I would say some of what I was exposed to was still very mononormative, but that was also, you know, over a decade ago. And I bet it's sure. a lot different now. Um, sure. Um, but yeah, like I said, like that class was called abnormal sexuality. And so it's like, even just yeah. not normalizing it or like it's, it's different than normal, which is kind of true, but also, not really progressive or like not about like affirming or normalizing this practice. Yeah. Yeah. It's labeling it as an other. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And no dig on the Kinsey Institute. I mean, right. We all evolve with the times and, and they only know what they know at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I get that. I, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's really fascinating. What, where did the journey take you coming out of there? Um, well, I decided to go, to grad school to become a therapist. Um, and I just wanted to get out of Indiana. I was, it was cold and (laughs) Midwest and I don't know. I just, in in Indiana. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so I just applied places that were warm and I got into ASU. Um, so I moved out to Phoenix sight unseen and was just focusing on grad school. I wasn't really even, I mean, I knew I wanted to do relationship therapy. Like all my classes at the Kinsey Institute, like my favorites were about relationships and sexuality. And um, so I knew I wanted to focus on that. And yeah, I'm trying to think. I didn't really date anybody. I was just kind of, I I had somebody long distance and he was also non-monogamous. He was in New York and I was in um, Phoenix. And so we were kind of like, we would share about who like, small dates that we'd go on, but I was just really busy with grad school. And then I met one of my partners for a long, like a long-term partner at the end of grad school. And we decided to be in an open relationship together. And then I met my current partner while I was with that partner. And we were all kind of um, dating. Like, yeah, we had an arrangement and now I live with my current partner and I have two kids with him. Um, and we're kind of like functionally monogamous, I'd say right now, like just having kids is really intense and requires a lot of your time. And, you know, we haven't really been able to like open back up, but we've talked about it and, um, he's interested. And so we might be doing that sooner than later, but yeah, mm-hmm. just like function. And then with the pandemic too, like that was also another like, um, yep. damper on dating and all that. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. In, in life, in, in general. life, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. some somewhere along the way, it sounds like you ended things with that first boyfriend. The where you two were sort after of after grad school. After grad school, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And the the cool thing about that ending was, I think, like one thing I love about non monogamy is like endings can be really fluid because it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be like end this so you can start something else. It's like things can start and end at their own timelines, and so we kind of we're still kind of together while I was getting more serious with my current partner. And, um, but we just weren't aligned. We didn't want the same things in life. And so it just sort of naturally fell away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and along, along the path, sort of getting to where you are today, what 
sort of what ways have you seen yourself grow through this experience? So many ways. I mean, definitely it showed me a lot of my like attachment stuff and like my styles and what happens when I'm stressed or threatened. The, the relationship I had my, the one right before the one I'm in now, um, I had a lot of like anxious attachment or like a lot of controlling behaviors. And even though I was, you know, setting out to be non-monogamous, it was all consensual. I just like really was uncomfortable with the way he was doing it and and everything he was doing. And so it got me into like more serious therapy for myself and um, just healing some childhood stuff and like, and some of that first relationship trauma with all the cheating and the, Mm -hmm. you know, and so there was just, it just showed me all the areas that I needed to, repair for myself and grow and heal yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like a catalyst you know it's like like that may have come up in in a monogamous relationship for me but it's like you know amplified when it's Mm -hmm. when your partner's dating other people (laughs) yeah i was gonna like i'm so glad that you brought that piece up because someone actually asked me the other day a question about uh how to do non-monogamy with attachment wounds and and how that affects it. And so it feels like you kind of just like um, touched on that briefly about for you, they may have come up, it was just more heightened um, with non-monogamy. Do you mind expanding a little bit about like what that experience was like for you? And you're also because you're a therapist and you've worked with people like what, how do you view attachment and non-monogamy? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Where to start with that? Um, it's a big question. Yeah. You don't have to go super deep. I just <laughs> was curious to get your take. Yeah. I mean, I love just learning. I, I think for people and myself to learn about attachment styles, like not one is not better than the other. It's just about like knowledge and self-acceptance. And it's like, this is, this is how I am in these situations and these are how I'm going to react. So you can kind of just know yourself and you can be, it can be somewhat predictive. And so it's not shocking when it comes up. It's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to react this way because of my history and because of my style. I also like remembering that they're not static or like that they can change Mm -hmm. and they can change in different relationships. And so it's like information. So it's like, if this style is coming up really strongly in this relationship, that's just telling me, this is how I am in this relationship and here's what maybe needs to change or what needs what I need to feel a little bit more secure or comfortable in this relationship. I like the idea of like creating secure attachment with yourself or like other people than your partner or partners Um, that can help, you know, minimize some of the like stronger reactions from either. Like I get, more anxious I don't know I'm kind of like a mix I'm like disorganized a little bit like anxious or avoidant or like one or the other um Mm -hmm. so just knowing that 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 about myself and then accepting it and then trying to create a secure attachment with self and like friends you know Mm -hmm. like a bigger community yeah Yeah, which is so rather than your one person Right, which is, yeah, I was going to say, that's exactly what, what I was going to say, is rather than putting, let's say, all of your attachment eggs in one basket, and then that one gets triggered in some way, and and you're completely, you know, yeah. dysregulated having to find your way, versus, like, you're secure with yourself. And so, sure, those things come up, but they don't rock your world quite as hard. Right. Yeah. 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 And no easy task. You no. Know. no, and often that takes work with a therapist or a close friend or like, mm-hmm. like yeah. 
Pat back on that. Yeah. Have you found some strategies for yourself that that really worked? Because it sounds like you've sort of battled both ends of the the disorganized attachment style. Have you found some strategies for yourself that work just maybe for other people listening that might be helpful? Yeah. I think like the most important lesson I learned, I guess, relatively early on was um, like, yeah, attaching, having, spreading out your attachment to more than romantic partners. So Mm -hmm. like, I know I would have more anxiety about my partners dating other people when I wasn't feeling connected to my friends who I'm not dating or, you know, like my platonic relationships or my business relationships or, you know, like having a full life outside of your romantic relationships, I think is like one of the best ways to feel more secure and like grounded in community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. And also I just was thinking as you're talking about, um, if anyone's not familiar with attachment styles, that's listening and wants some more background, uh, we would one book that would be really good is Polysecure, of course. That's like so good. And yeah. so definitely we recommend that. There's a lot of other resources out there too, but we'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um and if there's any other that you would recommend. Yeah. Well, I know she just released a workbook too. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I haven't looked at that yet, but I've heard good things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she's coming to Southwest Love Fest too. So Yay! <laughs> yes. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. So anybody listening, come to Southwest Love Fest in mm-hmm. April in Tucson. <laughs> well, I'll be there. Yeah. I love it. I, I think similarly, or maybe along those lines about how you touched on how different relationships impact your attachment style differently and you maybe show up differently. Have you found sort of for yourself a relational sweet spot, the sort of the utopia for you that feels the best that that you seem to feel most at ease and not not that it's the only way you would accept it or that you don't want to push yourself huh that's a good question (laughs) i say that because i'm laughing at myself because it's like so my um partner before the one i'm with now i felt very anxious in because he was kind of like more avoidant and like i'm gonna Mm -hmm. do what i want you gotta accept it you know figure your shit out kind of thing and then my current partner is much more like I want you to be comfortable and he's very like committed and like even sacrificial I would say where it's like it's all about like my comfort and that was such a balm from coming from my other relationship was like oh I can like relax and I know I can trust this person and you know he will go at my pace or our pace we'll figure it out together Um, and that was that helped me heal a lot of stress and anxiety I've had basically since I started being non-monogamous but I've also noticed like now that it's so secure I feel more avoidant I'm kind of like just go do your thing and like leave me alone or you know what I mean so I'm like I'm just like never satisfied I don't know so I don't know I don't have really an answer yet (laughs) (laughs) I just I would just say Kate so relatable I think that is a pattern that that is that comes up often right and in the and it gets talked about in polysecure right if you're with a an avoidant partner you it's it's not uncommon for somebody to be more anxious and trying to chase right you have right. that sort of chase yeah. thing and if and if you are the on the receiving end of the chase sometimes you can be a little more like mm-hmm. give me a little bit of space here you're 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 stifling me and i think 
we're just set up to fail as best I can tell (laughs) as humans. Like we're, we are set up to find the people who trigger us and force us into growth and, and, and and facing all of these things. Yeah. Well, it keeps it interesting too. Right. I mean, like if I found something and I just was like secure and happy, I don't know. It's like, I'm a, I'm like, I don't know if you know the Enneagram, but I'm a challenger on the Enneagram and eight. And so it's like, I feel like I always have to kind of be having something that's challenging me. And so that's whether it's there or not, I might be creating it. And so now this is my new challenge, like the other end of the spectrum of the attachment stuff. Yeah. And some of us are just built. Some people are just built to for the challenge and some people are not. And that's right. okay too. Some yeah. people find their comfort zone and they're like, this is just where I want to live. And that's okay. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And then other people are like, give, give me yeah. all the hard shit. And yeah. it's, I don't know if I want to keep going, but I'm going to keep going because I'm still going to make the choice to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we are familiar with the Enneagram. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it is interesting to learn how uh, different personality types show up in relationships. Mm -hmm. And, um, we learned last year when we did a little bit of digging into the Enneagram, uh, that I'm a nine Mm. and Finn is a one. And so, um, learning how those, uh, impact each other. And we actually recorded some episodes too, so that we can link those in the show notes as well um, about that from last year. Mm -hmm. But, uh, the nine is the peacemaker, right? Correct. And yeah. What's one? I forget what one is. I don't know the official term, but I think it's basically perfectionist. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. So my my yeah. There's a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's I'll no baggage to that there. Episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No baggage yeah. there at all. <laughs> yeah, we dive we dive deep uh, in that conversation for sure. Cool. Um, so it was. Uh, it's just fascinating how learning about personality types and, and to me, I feel like there's so much just, we aren't taught growing up. Some people are, but most in society in general, we aren't taught these things. And like, as you start to uncover, it's like, Oh, this stuff makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like personality types, even, uh, attachment wounds, attachment styles, um, all of these different things help put the pieces of a relationship together and it Mm -hmm. starts making sense of why maybe you've made the decisions you've made or things have gone in your life the way they've gone. And (laughs) yeah. um, Yeah. And that's the work, right. It's just like more self-awareness and knowing all these different parts of yourself so that you, you are aware and then you can also share that with your partners and, and they can be doing the same work. I think that's, that's the rewarding part of relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, um, a great place to sort of transition to that to a conversation about for you, for yourself what what have been the most rewarding parts of the journey it sounds like for the last 20 ish years that you've sort of been on it what for you what do you find rewarding and that keeps you coming back through all of the hard challenges that you come up against yeah um i think it's like the relationships, the like, um, metamora relationships. I've talked about this sometimes is that I feel like the metamora relationships are like the glue that holds it together or like, they're not the only glue, but it's like, those have been the most rewarding for me is like the relationships outside of my romantic partnerships that have been super rewarding. And like some of those have lasted longer than the romantic relationship that we were introduced through. And yeah, just like really great friendships. Um, 
that have come from that. With your partner's partners. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you ever found yourself transitioning a partner, partner, friend, a metamore friendship into a metamore romantic relationship? Like starting to date a metamore? Mm Mm-hmm. I never have. No. No. <laughs> I was just personally. curious because I know that's something. Yeah, we've 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 heard people who've had that who've had that yeah. journey as well, and then it's. But mm-hmm. I, I maybe maybe this is a great question about managing metamorph relationships and how they relate to your actual to your partner relationship. We've we've had some people who've written in or talked about with us recently where they've perhaps. I'm trying to think of the scenario without without giving too much away, but basically they they f- started a relationship with a really close friend of their like long term spouse, and so now they're dating like it'd be like me dating Emma's best girlfriend, mm. and then us trying to say okay, well now how do we balance? You know, Emma's best friend is now dating me and I want a whole bunch more time and we're spending time and now Emma feels like she's not having friends with her best friend. Mm. How do you manage that sort of delicate balance of relationships, friendships, ecosystem? Yeah. Easy question. question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Passing along our listener questions to our guests now. (laughs) Solve this for us. I mean, I actually can think of a situation that was somewhat similar to that, or like it was the person I was friends with who then became my metamor. Um, and so it was kind of hard. Or there were, and, and things with, that was with my other partner who it was kind of, I was leaving or like transitioning out of. And so things were kind of like sad and hard in a way with that person. And um, so it just required a lot more conversations with me and that metamor slash friend. Um, mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think it brought us closer than we would have been even just friends because we were like processing our own feelings about this other person together. Um, so just lots of conversations, I guess it would be the answer to the question of just like, which seems just simple and trite, but like, <laughs> that's like <laughs> kind of all you can do. For sure. But it's it's also interesting. You said that, that you two had sort of the opportunity to compare and sort of lived experiences with this partner, but you're sort of, if I caught this right, like you were ramping down yeah. as they were ramping up. And right. so I think if we were to map that to mononormative culture, that's you ain't dating my ex. Like, mm. what are you thinking? You know, you see somebody breaking up with somebody and you're like, Oh, they're open now. I, I I'll, you know, I've always, you know, mm-hmm. kind of fancying them. And then like, that's a huge faux pas to mm. go after your best, you know, your friend's ex. ex. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think we kind of talked about that or like, this feels, is this weird? Are you okay with this? I feel like I'm breaking a rule or, you know, and, and I was, cause it was like, because I, well, I mean, some of those old tropes would come in, but it's like consciously trying to not, listen to them or you know like undo some of those tropes and like and same for me like i mean a lot of some of my trauma with my first partner like he would sleep with my friends and so that was like painful for me you know Mm -hmm. and so um yeah i don't know it was it felt like healing in a way to like have it above board and to talk about it and like this feels hard and confusing but also like i love you and i know you care about me and we're just trying our best. So it felt very healing. 
Yeah. I think it is healing to, to take all the, like you said, all the tropes, all of the things that are pumped into us and then like flip them on their head and just sort of get rid of them and say, yeah, yeah you know, we're, we're supposed to be enemies here, but why, why do we need to be like you, you now like this person. I still love this person perhaps, but we're yeah. not meant to be in this way. Yeah. And we can just sort of transition fluidly, maybe not easily, but fluidly yeah. from, from one to another. Yeah. And actually, I mean, they didn't end up dating that long. And some of the stuff she was processing with me about her relationship with him helped solidify me wanting to leave him too. And so like, it just was like perfect timing or, you know, um, yeah, yeah. It just, yeah, it was kind of meant to be, it felt like this person that I really loved and trusted, like kind of came in at the right time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that your relationship now is kind of uh, monogamous in a way because of the way it's structured, just the time of life you're in. Um, but with, I'm curious, like moving forward, do you have an ideal relationship structure that you're wanting to strive for or that you're wanting to create at some point? Yeah, we talk about that a lot. Or like, it's like this dream. I mean, especially with raising kids, it's really hard. And so like, it would be nice to have more adults, you know, and like, yeah. Yeah. you know, dating other people who are like in that same stage of life who are also raising kids, we could share childcare duties, share pickups and drop-offs. And so kind of more of like this familial, like co-parenting thing is like my ideal right now. That was actually my ideal before I even have kids. Or that was one of the reasons I was so attracted to non-monogamy was like the possibility of having kids with multiple people. So it's not so stuck in the nuclear family of like just two parents, like, you know, projecting all their stuff onto these kids it's like they can have multiple attachment figures and multiple people that love them because we don't have a lot of extended family around and so that's kind of i think what attracts me to that mm-hmm. yeah for sure well and then you can shift the blame if something's messed up later like, <laughs> hey that wasn't me that, that, was, that was your metamor so, yeah no, exactly I, <laughs> yeah no i'm just just plain, but I think that's so valid, valid. And we've, we've heard so many people talking about that. Actually, lately, we've heard yeah. a lot of people coming on and sharing, like being able to spread out parenting duties and family duties. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the old adage that it takes a village yeah. hasn't changed. Yeah. If anything, it's gotten more <laughs> as we've taken on more and more and more, like, yeah. our time is less. So, yeah. I, I would love if, if you are open to sharing a little bit about your experience so far in raising two kids through polyamory and how how you and your partner or partners sort of find that balance and manage that. Because I know that's a big one that comes up for people as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because so my partner has two other kids with his ex-wife. So he got married mm-hmm. young. They had kids. So he's got a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. And then we have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. So we kind of already had a blended family. Like our my two kids already have like two older siblings that are kind of like aunt-uncle mm-hmm. ages. And then his ex-wife is also still in the picture we do dinners together she watches my kids sometimes and so it feels a little bit like a blended family like she's kind of like a metamorph but they're not romantic mm-hmm. anymore but they're friends and co-parents um and then we have another good friend who has a baby herself and so we share a lot like when she goes out of town we watch her baby when we go out of town she watches ours and 
um, just a lot of sharing. So none of them are romantic, but they feel very like committed relationships, like and like blended family. Um, and we've th- talked about like if we did ever start dating people, like how to like fold them in, and like we would be totally open about it with our kids. Like our kids already will already know like from the get go that we don't like believe in monogamy or like we don't practice monogamy. We're not mm-hmm. trying to be monogamous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Age appropriate as they, yeah. as they get there. Yeah. 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 So like I right now they're kind of like, Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I, was just saying, I think seven months is about the age when you can start letting them <laughs> talking about attachment and, and those types of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool. Cause like they're, they are very attached already to, you know, like my partner's ex-wife and um, our our friend who they call TT. And so like we can see the attachments forming and kids attach so easily. They just love everybody, you know? Yeah. 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 It's beautiful. And I'm glad that you're able, even if the community you have around you right now is necessarily like romantic, it doesn't take away, like it's, it doesn't have to be right. Yeah. Like, it doesn't take that away. It's still beautiful and yeah. you can find support and attachment uh, with the people that you want to. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I was curious along, along your journey, again, roughly 20 years, you, you obviously went to the Kinsey Institute Institute went to school as a therapist to become a therapist. Were there other sort of experiences, resources, things along the way that you went through that kind of helped formulate and guide your path? Cause there's so many different ways you could end, not end up, but like do non-monogamy. There's uh, almost as many people as are doing it different ways, but you sort of found your path and, and maybe what was sort of the guiding light for that? Hmm. yeah i mean it could have been internal right i'm sure there's so much of it that's internal i think some of it was internal but i think you know it's kind of like who you end up with or who ends up around you and you Mm -hmm. know we ended up in tucson and we started this little community like um i don't think i've talked about this yet but it's like um when i was dating my previous partner we were each dating somebody else and they were each dating somebody else. And so we all got together and we're like, let's do this like monthly thing where we get together and we pick a topic and we like talk about it. And that grew pretty quickly to be like three, 400 people in town. And so we were having these like potlucks and discussion groups. And so I feel like that really informed a lot of the, pe- the people who were showing up. Like we were learning together. We were like creating norms together. We were saying like, here's what worked for us. And, um, and so I feel like that really was like, um, like foundational for like how I was practicing. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing Mm -hmm. that you started that and had grew to that size in the area. Um, Are you still doing that group? No, not really. It kind of fell off. It's, it's still in existence, but it's not really, nothing's happening every once in a while. Somebody will like plan a happy hour. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think there was this magical moment of like a core group of like about 40 people that were like really holding it together. And like a lot of them moved away or got older, had kids or whatever. And we kind of just like don't get together anymore Mm -hmm. um, as much. Yeah. Well, but even for, for that time that it sort of did exist, it sounds like the impact that community had that just community as a, as a unit, Mm -hmm. as an entity had on your journey was huge. Yeah. 
I think that's something that like we can really relate to having having built a community and being a part of it for the last, let's say, four years and the previous 13 or so years that we didn't is a drastic difference yeah. for us. Mm-hmm. And and I'd love to hear from from your perspective, Kate, what what are some of the benefits that you felt when you were surrounded by that community? Just a lot of like knowing looks or like, you know, you're sharing about your situation and people just get it. They just know what you're talking about and they're struggling with the same thing. And then also just sharing a lot of wisdom, like, well, I don't know if this is right, but this is what I tried and it helped. And it's like, Oh, I never would have thought of that. Or like, um, that's such a good idea or like we should try, you know, and then going home with my partner, like we should do what so-and-so was doing. That seemed like that helped. And, you know, so just like a, like an, a think tank of like ideas and sharing wisdom and, and support. And then like, also that was, that was the time when I realized I was putting all my attachment eggs in my romantic relationship basket. And was like, mm-hmm. no, consciously spend more time with these people who are friends that I can talk about this stuff with. And so some like deep, friendships formed out of that that made me feel more secure in my life and you know then I was more secure in my relationship yeah yeah I love that I couldn't agree more and I think too there's another one that I that sometimes comes up for me where I I'll see or hear somebody talk about what they're doing and I'll be like well that seems treacherous but okay let's (laughs) see and then and then like six or eight months later you're like Hey, they're still okay. It's, it's working. Like, and I think for me, it really, it helps expand my vision of what is possible mm-hmm. and what, yeah, what we can do as people and, mm-hmm. and when, what we can do with other people, because you, you see some different things going on that you're like, man, I don't know how that's ever going to work. Mm-hmm. And then it works. And yeah. you're like, okay, well, Hey, look at me. You know, yeah. we, we just learned something new. Yeah. And it's just inspiring, like seeing things work or seeing people that have been together for years or whatever. And and not that that's the only measure of success, but um, it's like, oh, it just feels positive or inspiring. It's like, oh, it is possible or people have found ways that work. And so I can too. Exactly. Yeah. And the idea that there isn't a right way. And Mm -hmm. because there's sometimes people will say, we'll hear comments like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing it that way. And it's like it's also working really well for them yeah. and everybody in their orbit. And so again, I think the notion of the right way or is, is sort of a bit of yeah. a misplaced, I don't know, in my yeah. opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, yeah. How, how I, I can maybe tying it into community. How open are you with your family and, and maybe friends who aren't part of that community, the, the, the world that's not non-monogamous, how open with, with those people in your life, are you? Um, I'm pretty open. I mean, it's like I post about it a lot on social media and they all know about this conference that I run. That's pretty mm-hmm. open about what the conference is about. And like my therapy profile talks about it. And so like professionally I'm open to, and, um, so, I mean, I don't like have deep conversations with my family about it. And my brother's actually pretty unsupportive and like, I would even say bigoted about it. But we have a strained relationship anyway, and so I don't even know if it's really about the non-monogamy. It might be about something else that he's mad about. I don't know. But um, so we don't talk about it at all, and he sometimes gives me shit if I do post something. But friends, yeah, like I would say now most most of my friends, my close friendships are also non-monogamous. But even the ones that aren't, 
just know that that's a big part of my life and they, we can talk very openly about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. Uh, and that leads me, I guess, so you mentioned the conference and I'm just curious, uh, what led you to create Southwest Love Fest? Well, Sarah and I, um, who I met through that um, community that I was just talking about, like we met at a potluck and we saw each other at several potlucks. And then I think we decided to go to a conference together. Um, the one in Atlanta, which I don't even remember the name now. I think it was like Atlanta Poly. Atlanta Poly Weekend? Yeah, Atlanta Poly yeah. Weekend. So we went to that in whatever year that was, like 2016 maybe or something. And like, this is really cool. We should like do something local, you know, because it was expensive to get all the way out there. And we're like, we have such a good community. And we knew some people in Phoenix too. And we're like, let's just create something here. And then I think I was like, well, let's invite some of these people from like, not other national places or like other people like in New York and stuff like that and just see if they want to come. And, um, so we did and they did, and it was just like a bigger, bigger conference than we had planned. And it kind of just like planned itself from then on out. It was like people after the first one, people were already trying to buy tickets for the next year. And we were like, we don't even know if we're doing another year. And, um, <laughs> but we're like, I guess we should. And so it just kind of like always kept it going itself. And so, yeah, that's how it's grown. Yeah. What was, when was the first one? Um, I think it was 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's nice too. Now the yeah. conference plans itself, you don't have to do any work. So that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Like, yeah. It's it's she's still- like, I haven't slept in a month. So <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's still a lot of work, but, but a lot of the like foundation is there, you know, you yeah. have to plug it in. So what does is, what is Southwest Love Fest look like for somebody who's never been to one of, let's say, one of these conferences in quotes, but for your conference in particular, because I imagine they're not all yeah. exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to say what this year will be like. So I'll just tell a little history of it. Like we, so we started in 2018. We had, it was bigger than we thought the first year. And then the second year, it like tripled in size. 2019 was like 400 some people and then 2020 we were going to do a whole hotel takeover it was going to be even bigger and then it was the pandemic and so we canceled it and then 2021 we did online and Mm -hmm. 20 right 2022 we did just a smaller conference it was only like 75 people and so this is our first year that we're kind of like going back to 2019 style and and size but the goal is just like it's like kind of like an academic conference meets like regional burning man event like it's just supposed to be like really fun um people can be self-expressive there's going to be like interactive workshops so not just like heady talking workshops but like massage workshops and cuddle parties and um art workshops and kind of just like just like a lot of fun ways to express yourself and like get to know yourself and your relationships Mm -hmm. i love it and what if what if somebody's maybe not non-monogamous? Would it still be a good place for them to show up and hang out for the weekend? Definitely, yeah. It's there's so many different topics. Like this year, like that's why we changed the name. It used to just be like Southwest Love Fest, a conference on ethical non-monogamy. But now it's about relationships. So all relationships, even if you're not interested in non-monogamy, you can learn about your own re- like monogamous relationships, your own like gender identity, sexual orientation. Um, and then we're also talking about like family, community, 
uh, parenting. And then we're also bringing in some stuff about psychedelics this year because that's a passion of mine. And so it's going to be, it's like a variety show. There's going to be so many different topics. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm super excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how about maybe a little bit about your work outside of that? I mean, that's, that's not all you do. And it would be, we'd love to send anybody your way, both for Southwest Love Fest and and for your other work. And links to, to sign yeah. up for the conference are in the show notes. So we encourage people to go and find out more there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, I have a group private practice in Tucson and in Salt Lake because I, I want to be a snowbird. I want to spend my winters in Salt Lake where we have a lot of friends and family. Um, but we specialize, my practice is really specialized on relationships, but also psychedelics. So we do psychedelic integration therapy. So that's if you're doing your own medicine work, um, either in like above ground or underground or other countries, but then you can come to us to do talk therapy and process the insights that you're having through that work. And then we do ketamine assisted psychotherapy in our practice. So people would do like, um, a psychiatric eval with our nurse practitioner or our naturopathic doctor. And then would do the ketamine assisted psychotherapy sessions with us, which are like three hour medicine sessions um, where we kind of dive into, we use IFS internal family systems and somatic psychotherapy to learn about, like to connect with yourself, learn about yourself, process trauma. Um, Yeah. Make big changes in your life. It's awesome work. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. It's amazing. And if people are interested in learning more, where can they find you? Um, I have my, I have a personal website, katekincaid.com. And then, um, my Tucson practice is called Tucson Counseling Associates, all one word. And that's the website too. Um, Awesome. Yeah. Well, links for those will be in the show notes for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you have a few more minutes for a couple other fun questions perhaps? Sure. Yeah. All right. So one question that we love to ask people and we probably should have given you a heads up, but we didn't. So here we go. We love to, to talk about bloopers, so they don't have to be sexual necessarily, but just sometimes to lighten the idea that uh, non-monogamy doesn't always go the way we plan. And or we, relationships don't go the way we plan. Or anything. Sex doesn't go the way we plan. And we find ourselves in hilarious situations. And if you had one that comes to mind, or two or seven, that you wanted to laugh about with us, we would love to share that laugh with you. And feel free to take a minute and think about it. We can yeah, all think. of the waiting. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's not really that funny, but it's kind of funny or like, um, as a therapist in town, like I can't date my clients and my partners can't date my clients. And so like, I used to have to like run them or my partner would have to like, ask me like, do you know this person? And I'm not even supposed to say that's a client, but I would be like, no, you can't, can't go on a date with that person. And that's like, you have to just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. And so that happened a few times. I'm like, (laughs) <laughs> I can't date that person because I don't know all my clients are so cool too and so I don't know it just felt like a really small world sometimes um and then especially like I was one of only a few therapists in town who were like known as the non-monogamy therapist and so it's like everybody would refer people to me and so it definitely limited like the dating pool for me and my partners <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like a different way to veto <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> 
And there was definitely times, though, like, I mean, I used to have to just have to kind of get used to it. Like, I'd have to get comfortable with some level of closeness. Like, you can be in the same community or you can even be at the same, like, potlucks or discussions. But, like, mm-hmm. just not, like, dating my my circle of people, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, such a tricky a tricky line to walk. Well, and navigating the confidentiality too. Like you can right. be in public settings and stuff, but you can't acknowledge. Right. It. So it's like, it's, it's kind of this, this yeah. uh, mental game in some ways that you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, um, like I don't go to sex parties anymore or lately. And unfortunately, but um, like when those were happening, sometimes like I would have to see the guest list and I'm like, Oh, I can't go because of this or that or, like, I remember one time, though, like, a, ha- a handy person that I had hired was, like, on the guest list. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's such a small town. I don't <laughs> want to see my handy person at this sex party. <laughs> that's, that's the stuff movies are made of, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Small towns, smaller towns can have a lot of benefits and have a little, make it tricky sometimes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can also just picture like the disappointment on your partner's face when they're like, "Oh, I'm interested in this person." You're like, "Nope," and they're like, Grr. "Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I think it was harder for my partners than for me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, because they can't do it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, uh, they're just yeah. I'd yeah. be in all long distance relationships. You're like, you know what? Forget this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that makes it easier. <laughs> in some ways, and mm-hmm. much harder in others. True. True. <laughs> I'm now I'm curious if if what Go for it. Well, you brought up sex parties and that got omitted from your story pre pre work conversation. Is that it sounds I mean, it's whatever level comfortable you're comfortable talking about that. It sounds like that that was part of the journey for you and exploration. What did maybe when did that come into play and how how was that? Again, at whatever level you're comfortable, we don't need to. Yeah. I feel like that was like early days of like opening up my relationship, like ethically and like, Oh, I can do all these things. Um, I was also like, yeah, I was, how old was I? I would have been like late twenties. Um, and I think I was just like really social. I was like in a really social period of my life. And that was just like a fun way to socialize and like, I think Craigslist was even around at that time too. And it's like, things can get organized that way. And it was like kind of anonymous. And like a lot of times we went to these parties and we were like, walk in and walk out. Like, (laughs) no, this is not our crew, but it was just kind of like an adventure, you know? Um, Yeah. Like an adventurous time in my life. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally, totally relate to that. Emma and I have been to a fair number of, various clubs and parties and gatherings and and you know sometimes it's fun to go to the ones that you've been to a whole bunch and you know people and sometimes there's there's really nothing that can compare to like the the a little bit of fear but the excitement of walking into a thing that you're just like i don't know they call it a they call it an orgy or they call it a sex party or whatever and you're like driving down the road and you're like looking at the neighborhood and you're you're like where where am I? What does my life come to? And and and, and, then, and then you walk in sometimes, and sometimes you, you do leave. And then, yeah, and walk right out. yeah, yeah. It's it's a rush, or like it's yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It but is. it's a way to find your people. Too. Yeah, like that's that's a fun way to do it too. Like you know, if you choose to leave or not, not like it's mm-hmm. 
that's not if you choose to leave a party that doesn't mean that it's a bad party right. it just might not be your for you it might not right. be your your scene and so yeah. it's fun to like try them out yeah and it's still an adventure like with your partner or partners that you go with like getting all dressed up and getting excited and then like even if you stay or like you meet a few people and you have like something to process and laugh about later or whatever you know it's just like a whole bonding experience yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's a bonding adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, that's something that we encourage people to to do, right? When they're thinking about like, oh, we're we're not sure if we want to do non monogamy, or one of us is interested in the other one. We'll often say like, go to a party. Yeah, don't don't go with any intention to even get involved. Yeah, but just go and be in the space, see what the people are like see what what you feel come what comes up for you what comes up for the two of you and then you have a thing you can go and talk about and probably fuel fantasies and fun for a a while yeah as you then now you're like baking that in and also taking it with a grain of salt and saying okay well that was that was strange or that was whatever (laughs) let's do another one at a different place and like i don't know let's get some data points here yeah maybe it's because i'm a scientist but i just enjoy (laughs) like the act of like studying these things yeah 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 lots of good stories and memories from those adventures for sure Yeah. yeah i love it well is there anything kate that we haven't talked about that you would want to bring up I don't think so. No. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Did you have anything else? No, other than we're excited to see you in Tucson in a couple of, well, let's call it like two ish months. Yeah. Oh and my gosh. That's so soon. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> I thought this thing planned itself, Kate. <laughs> All right. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll see you in a few months. Yes. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. And we're back. Thank you so much, Kate, for coming on and sharing your story and for all of the amazing work you do in your therapy practice and also with Southwest Love Fest. A quick reminder, you can, in the show notes, find the links to sign up for Southwest Love Fest. We would love to have you join us. It's April 14th through the 16th in Tucson, Arizona. Yes. Thank you, Kate, for all the work you do and for inviting us out to SWILF. Yes. I'm calling it SWILF from now on. Sure. I think it's awesome. (laughs) Also, thank you for hanging in there through that intro. I know that was amazing. Yeah, that was an amazing intro. Emma's currently wearing her face mask. <laughs> because the, of this. No, the face the, shield. The, the face shield. The face yeah. shield like she's a dentist. Yeah, for the spit takes. Also, one, one, one apology we wanted to issue to the state of Indiana. <laughs> just in general. We took, a, we took a little dig at Indiana, and I just want to say, Indiana, we love you. At least you're not Ohio. Right, yeah. In Ohio, we, we, we love you. Mm. Yes. These are Midwest jokes. Yes. We save them for the outro. <laughs> Hopefully all the Indiana fans haven't like, they didn't turn we, it we off. Lo- we they love, probably didn't even make it here. We love everyone in Indiana and Ohio. That's correct. <laughs> a few other quick announcements before we let you go. Uh, a reminder that our virtual meet and greet is on February 23rd this month. So you can sign up at our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And we already talked about South House Love Fest. So you can already... You already know about all that, so I don't need to repeat that. You don't, so. Anything else? I don't have anything else at the moment other than, let me check my notes. Oh, I do have a thing. What? Kate talked about the fact that she's the co-creator of Swelf. Oh, yes. We are, you wouldn't believe this, we're interviewing the other co-creator in just a few days, Sarah. Mm -hmm. And then Sarah will be on the show to talk about her story 
which we happen to know will be amazing. Yes. And even if it's not, we will hype it up like it is. Yes, exactly. And you'll never know the difference. <laughs> so stay tuned. That will be coming. But next week, we have a different interview with but Susan. I just want to be clear that I do believe it will be an amazing conversation. <laughs> Gosh, it will be. But we're not, not, we're not, doubt, we're not doubting you, Sarah. You, we're confusing <laughs> people because we're talking about Sarah and now Susan, too. Yeah. So Sarah's going to be coming in a few weeks. Susan is next week. I feel like we're in that Mambo number five song. A little bit of Susan. (laughs) Anyway, Susan is next week. Susan is, again, another amazing story. We can't wait. Next week, we'll be here in a jiffy. We'll see you then, right? Yeah, I think that's it. (laughs) Go sign up for Southwest Love Fest. (laughs) And our virtual meet and greet. And our virtual meet and greet. And the community. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know, we're just, we're just hanging on for dear life here. So let's just, let's wrap it up. Bye everyone. Thanks for listening.